The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. Turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. Nine minutes after eight. Now, this morning on the Forum at Eight, we discussed the introduction of Mandarin in our schools. And we ask whether the introduction of the Chinese language in our curriculum is a form of colonialism or whether it is, in fact, a tool for empowerment. Now, Mandarin is the most commonly spoken language in the world with approximately 935 million mother tongue speakers. South Africa's decision to introduce the language at a school curriculum level only further emphasizes China's rise as a world power. And like most major decisions, it has been met with mixed reaction. While some people argue that introducing Mandarin in our schools is long overdue, others have expressed a serious outrage at the decision uh, to introduce the language, suggesting that it is a new form of colonization. Now, uh, there have also been calls to introduce inter- indigenous languages uh, instead, but whether we like it or not, it seems that this is a done deal. So on the forum this morning, we ask, is the introduction of Mandarin in our curriculum a form of colonialism or should we be seeing it as a tool for empowerment? And joining us for the discussion this morning, uh, Dr. Kim Walmach, who is head of the Witz uh, Language School in our studios. Thanks so much for coming through once again. Thank you so much, Sakina. Great Lovely that here. we can always count on you when we're talking uh, language. And then uh, Dr. Nthanta Nduna Watson um, uh, from the Department of uh, Basic Education. Thank you so much for joining in uh, this morning. Good morning, Sakina. And we also have with us uh, Tolani Fagute, who's spokes, um, a spokesman for the South African Democratic uh, Teachers Union, SATU. Thanks for your time as well, Mr. Fagute. Thank you very much, Sakina. Good morning to you and to the listeners as well. Now, uh, firstly, I, I want to start off with a question uh, that came through very early from one of our listeners, uh, Mtunzi Mamgeli. And I'm going to put this to you, uh, Dr. Watson. Mtunzi asks... Who asked for Mandarin to be taught in our schools? Was it the Chinese or the South African government? And why was this decision made? Sagina, good morning to the listeners as well. You know, the, the introduction of any foreign language it comes from the request, comes from embassies. Already we've got 15 other non-official languages. Embassies will op- approach the department and so did the Chinese embassy approach the department. To say they would love to have Mandarin as one of the non-official languages in our curriculum. And so we applied because they had to go through the process of applying and making sure that uh, things like uh, versioning of the curriculum, because we give them our curriculum, they've got to version it and to make sure that they are responsible for versioning it and also that they'll be responsible for making sure that uh, teachers that will be teaching Mandarin come from China. So. All embassies do that. That works in the department. They do their own versioning. The department is not involved. When you say the teachers come from China, does this mean a Chinese teachers will be brought into South Africa to actually teach in the various schools? What is going to happen is that uh, they'll be sending about 100 volunteers, but also train our own teachers who are interested in teaching Mandarin. And already, Sakina, there are some schools that are already offering Mandarin as an optional subject. But remember, it is an optional subject. It's not compulsory. This is done after school where those schools that are interested in making sure that their learners are global citizens uh, offer the, uh, Mandarin as a subject. 
Now, you know, many people uh, start to include it and they'll uh, speak in a little while, but uh, many people have been outraged by this decision to introduce uh, Mandarin in our schools. And uh, some have even said that it's tantamount to a new form of uh, colonization. What's your response to that as the Department of Basic Education? I don't think so. I mean, as I say, Mandarin is the 16th, you know, 16th non-official language. You've got German, you've got French, that is taught in our schools. And they're not colonizing at all. But the reality is that for economic reasons, because we're trading with China, our citizens need to know Mandarin so that they get opportunities. Because opportunities are there in China. Opportunities are here in South Africa because there are so many companies, Chinese companies that are doing trade with us in South Africa. So it would be wise as a country to make sure that our citizens get an opportunity to make sure that they work in these companies. And will this be at all schools? Because if one thinks about, you know, uh, the language policies in many schools, when you talk about French, German, and what other other languages, the 15 prior to Mandarin, um, generally these languages are offered in more affluent schools. They are not offered in, you know, the poorer schools. So how is Mandarin going to work? Will it be available universally? No, it won't be available uh, universally. Schools will have to say they need to, you know, teach Mandarin and they apply to the provincial department and the provincial government will then make sure that, uh, you know, the necessary equipments are offered, textbooks, make sure that there are teachers who teach this language. But, Sakina, I want to emphasize, it is optional. You know, it's not compulsory. And with regard to the training of the teachers, um, uh, as I understand, the Chinese government will be footing that bill? Yes, they will be footing that bill, Sakina. And have you engaged teachers, broadly speaking, to, to get their views on this matter? You know, Sakina, like, you know, like all other non-official languages, it is the 16th. And, t- you know, when the, the uh, Mandarin was um, gazetted, you know, we gazette the, 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 the language so that everybody can be offered with what is being offered. And teachers or schools where they are, Teachers that want to teach Mandarin will say, will lift their hands and say, we want to teach Mandarin. And, of course, we'll offer the necessary training and the necessary support, like all non-official languages. But I want to specify that or emphasize that this is not compulsory. Like German, like French, like Spanish, that's all, you know, all schools do that. Those that want to offer this language, they do so willingly. Let me hear from um, uh, Satu now, Mr. Tolani Fagute. You know, why have you as Satu been so outraged at this particular, um, you know, implementation, the fact that Mandarin will now be introduced into our curriculum? Yeah, uh, thank you, Sakina. Look, our, our, our view is that, uh, <clears throat> firstly, we are, we are, we are, we are vehemently opposed uh, to the introduction of, um, of, uh, of Mandarin, whether as, a, as, a, as an optional language um, uh, or not. I mean, in, in our view... Uh, this is this is mostly uh, sugar coating, really, to be frank with you, by the Department of Basic Education to make what is actually a bitter pill for us to swallow uh, as a nation uh, to be to be uh, uh, to swallow it. Look, earlier this year, for instance, the Minister of Education uh, in her in her uh, state of the not state of the nation, but in her uh, budget vote. Uh, mentioned that um, uh, there, there will be a, a, a program to introduce African languages in about 3,458 schools across provinces. Now, on the very same uh, budget vote, there is now a pronouncement uh, on the on the offering of um, of Mandarin 
which came with specific time frames and specific grades. And, and this happens when we, we are slow as a country to develop our own indigenous languages. Yes, of course, during this debate, for instance, you will hear uh, uh, Dr. Watson uh, uh, telling us about uh, uh, economic um, uh, partnerships. Uh, we will be told uh, about uh, many other things, uh, such as that this is uh, optional, uh, etc. But the fact of the matter is that um, we, we, we really do see this um, as, a, as, a, uh, a, 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 as a country. We are, we are sort of treating our own indigenous um, uh, African languages, which is where we believe uh, our efforts and energy should be uh, with, uh, with less agents. It's because in our view, uh, language is all, about, um, is, is all about identity. It is all about one's culture. It is, it is, it is who we are. So if indeed... Uh, this was about uh, about a fair a, a fair partnership from a trade point of view between South Africa and China. Uh, we are certain that we would be applying the same uh, level of of agency to uh, to to the most widely spoken language in Africa, for instance, which is uh, which is uh, uh, Kiswahili. Uh, the 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 ANC in its national development plan. Uh, made it clear that we need to focus as a country on intercontinental trade. Now, if that is indeed the, 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 the direction, the strategic direction that we want to take as a country, why then are we not prioritizing uh, our own? So we, we really do see this as uh, some kind of a, a recolonization of some, of some sort, whereby there will be a big brother, uh, being China in this, in, in this case, who will determine um, the, 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 the cultural communicative exchanges uh, between that country and South Africa, and we just find that has been has been has been unacceptable there, frankly. And as a, you know, so sorry, Sakit, I just want to come in. It's not true because the department uh, this year and last year, 20, 2013 and 2014, we've been piloting the incremental introduction of African languages. So you know, from grade one, so that incrementally. Uh, we introduce this. In fact, next year, we are going to make sure that all schools that are not offering an African language in the foundation phase offer an African language. So it's not true that we're not actually, you know, we're not interested in introducing indigenous language. But why, know, so why is that only happening now, 21 years into this democracy? Is this not just a knee-jerk reaction uh, to uh, the outrage over the introduction of Mandarin? No, second, because no, the schools that we are targeting, we are targeting because majority of our schools already are offering an African language. We are now targeting those schools that are not offering any African languages, language at all. That's why we are saying we start in the foundation phase to incrementally introduce this, especially in the former model schools where there is no African language that is being offered. Because most of our, our learners are offering an African language. But we are saying to make sure that all our learners, irrespective of color, race, and language offer an African language, hence the incremental introduction of an African language. Well, um, Dr. Uh, Kim, let me bring you in here. You know, what's your response to all of this? And also, maybe, you know, from a more practical perspective, you know, what are some of the difficulties of introducing a language such as Mandarin that is, you know, totally different from the alphabet that we are using currently? Thank you very much, Sakina. You know, as you know, at the Witz Language School, we teach foreign language, and one of the most popular languages in, is, in fact, Mandarin, which we teach to adults. Um, I think when one looks at the whole question of learning another language, one has to look at the benefits of that. So I'm actually in two minds. My first reaction is learning more languages is good. It's good for the mental capacity of a child. 
That's fantastic. And the idea that Mandarin is really far too difficult, I don't think would wash if we had really good teachers and it was really well implemented. But what about space in the, in the school curriculum? What about the fact that African languages need to be taught first? What about other foreign African languages? What about French? What about Portuguese? Those are languages that are spoken extensively across our borders. Kiswahili, as Mr. Kiswahili, uh, absolutely. It's a, it's a lingua franca, but it's spoken a little bit further up. Mm. But if we're using the argument of trade, well, then we need to look at those languages too. My concern is that I think adults think that children have a limit to how much they can learn. I don't think they do. Children can be really multilingual, and if they learn really early, the pronunciation, everything can actually be at mother tongue level. But the problem is the practicalities. Who's going to be teaching this? How well are they going to be teaching this? If we have 100 volunteer Chinese teachers, will they actually be able to speak English? You know, how will they be integrated into, into our society? Um, what about South African teachers being forced to teach something they don't want to teach? I don't think that will wash either. So mm. for me, it's about the practicalities. For me, the dev- devil is definitely in the detail. And I think I want to, uh, you know, actually ask uh, Satu about that. You know, how do they feel about um, Chinese teachers coming in to teach Mandarin? Well, we have to take a break. When we come back, we'll answer that question and we'll also open the lines to answer all of your other questions. 891 is the call-in number. You can SMS us on the number 34701. It's at a cost of one rand. Free SMSs don't apply. And and of course, you can tweet or Facebook AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. It's 22 after 8. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. And it's a burning one this morning. The question we are asking, is the introduction of Mandarin in our curriculum a form of colonialism or is it in fact a tool for empowerment? That's the question we are hoping to answer. You can give us a call in 0891-104-208. Our guest uh, this morning, Dr. Kim Walmer from the Witz Language School from the Department of Basic Education. We have Dr. Nduna, uh, um, Dr. Nontlantla Nduna Watson and we have Mr. Kolani Fakou from Asatu with us. Uh, let me just take these two calls quickly and then I'll come back to the panel. Kolani in Mtata, good morning. Hi, SK. Hi. Hi. SK, about three months ago, the Daily Dispatch in the Eastern Cape put uh, reported about the South African police services that are now being trained Mandarin so that they can communicate with some Chinese businesses who are always having problems when they go and report into the police station. If now this lady from the Department of Basic Education comes and speaks at this as an option and trying to link it with other foreign languages that are being presented in South Africa, why is this Mandarin language becoming of priority all of a sudden? One thing that we must also understand, if 1976 was an issue about an African which happened to be a subaltern language, and now all of a sudden we are being imposed under the false pretense that it's optional because China is the biggest investor within between South Africa and, uh, and the Chinese. You need to also look at in terms of who benefits out of this uh, relationship uh, in, in monetary terms. China makes more money from South Africa than South Africa makes money from China. Thank you so much, Kolani. And Emmanuel in Johannesburg, good morning. 
Hello, good morning. Good morning, uh, the panel. Good morning, uh, Sakina. I just want to, to say uh, uh, it, 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 uh, the, the idea of introducing any language is not negative as such. But what we have to mm. look is we have to look kind of strategically what is it that we want from it. Because historically, I mean, uh, I've lived in England for many years, uh, the English universities since the 19th century, Oxford, Cambridge, uh, and later, you know, uh, University of London, so was introduced uh, uh, Mandarin. But that was historically because they needed the intelligence. Uh, people needed it, and uh, business people needed it. It was selective, strategic use of of that language. So we, we need to work out that one. And if that is the case, then we, we need to think carefully what is it that we want in the short term and long term. One I would say is first, the first phase has to be, to me, to train local trainers. South Africans have to be trained in the language. And that takes normally, you know, a couple of years, a few years. Mm. And then the, the second stage would be select few schools, perhaps also targeted area where we want economically for our national interest. Where does that fit in? So you can, for instance, have people working in business area, maybe some schools you can take selected things to do that. That is very, very important. Second thing is, I think we have to be very, very careful that this whole project is not driven from outside. You see, what happened historically in Africa has happened for many years is aid always has been forced from outside. So the direction of our strategy has been subsumed mm. under the other strategy. The, the other thing is what, you know, the, the speaker before me was saying. There might be a political unintended consequence if, for instance, we do some pressure and then we create that kind of tension. So I think my point is to, we have to be very careful, selective strategy and selective training and selective uh, schools have to be introduced. And we see how that runs for the next five, ten years. And if we see, you know, the development is okay, then we can expand that one. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Emmanuel. And, and, and quite a few people share your sentiment um, on the social media platforms. But let me come to Satu, uh, Mr. Fakute. And, um, you know, just put this question to you uh, from uh, Fred, uh, Frederick, who says, why did Satu not object to the introduction of German, French, Portuguese, etc., uh, when they were being introduced in South Africa? What is different now with Mandarin? Well, the fact, the fact of the matter, Sakina, uh, is that is that other 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 languages, the fifteen, uh, the other fifteen that Dr. Watson refers to, uh, might have been done uh, uh, previously. But right now, the 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 behaviour of the department towards uh, Mandarin in particular is quite different. For instance, on uh, the secular. Uh, secular S5 of 2015, which I'm sure Dr. Nduna Watson is quite um, uh, familiar with, uh, it makes reference to the conditions of service of teachers, for instance, uh, which means that uh, the teaching of Mandarin must must be done outside of the 27.5 uh, weekly allocated hours for, for 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 tuition time. Now that that tells you something. It tells you that immediately there is there is there is some kind of an impact. Uh, which uh, which may be negative on the conditions of service of teachers, which means that ideally you should therefore bring this matter before the Education Labor Relations Council, and this was uh, this was unfortunately not done. I mean, in her opening remarks again, um, she mentioned that uh, the, it, it came in as a result of a request from the Chinese um, uh, embassy. But then you will appreciate that this contradicts earlier statements from the Department of Education, which kept on uh, feeding us a, a narrative as a country that says that the introduction of Mandarin is largely due to an increased, um, an increased um, uh, demand and uh, request from parents. 
And we kept on asking that if you're saying this, it comes through to an increase in, dem- in, in demand from parents, which, which uh, consultative platforms for parents did they in actual fact use to come to the conclusion that we need, we need to, to introduce Mandarin in our schools? And again, we, we, are, we, are, we are vehemently opposed uh, to the culturization, the one-sided culturization of trade agreements. Because this is one of the most popular narratives that is being propelled out there. We are saying that if our learners in South Africa uh, are going to be to be exposed to to Mandarin, uh, are learners in Shanghai and Beijing going to be uh, exposed to Isipedi uh, and Isitosa as well? And uh, probably the answer is a, is, a, is, a, is a resounding no. So there is a lot of imbalances in this uh, in this particular approach from the department, and uh, that is why we are we are we are quite uh, we are quite opposed to it. Well, we're going to take a news break. When we come back, uh, we'll get the uh, Department of Basic Education's Dr. Nduna Watson to respond to that. And we'll also hear from Dr. Kim Walmach uh, from the Witz Language School. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. And the question we are dealing with this morning is the introduction of the Mandarin in our curriculum a form of colonialism or is it a tool for empowerment? And um, perhaps just to reiterate that as the Department of Education was stating, it will be optional as are many other languages in our schools. But um, uh, Dr. Nduna Watson it seems as though people are very skeptical. There's, there's a lot of skepticism about how and why this is actually being done and the timing of it. And um, as Kolani was saying, it seems as though maybe down the line, this isn't really so much an optional issue rather than one of priority, given our relations, our trade relations with China. Emmanuel speaks of the unintended consequences of some of our political decisions. And um, someone was asking... During those um, um, uh, those consultations with the Chinese, did you also ask South Africa for any of our languages to be introduced in their schools? Uh, Sakina, no. Let me first say that uh, you know in South Africa we have a huge Chinese community. These are South Africans. We need to cater for them. And people forget that uh, you know we've got Chinese citizens in this country, and the, the constitution makes. It appoints that uh, we need to promote social cohesion. And, of course, we need to look at the educational perspective and also the cultural aspect of, our, of the Chinese communities in our country. Chinese that are born and bred in South Africa. With and respect, Dr. Nduna Watson, what about the deaf community? What about uh, the Ku, the Khoi, the San communities? There are many other minority languages that, that just don't seem to enjoy the same priority. You know, Sakina, this year we've introduced the sign la- South African Sign Language in grade 9 and also in the foundation phase. So we also cater for our own. So it's not true that we're not catering for our own. But let me then come to um, the question that was raised by Emmanuel, well, that I've answered to say, why now? Is it a priority? I'm saying we have a huge Chinese community in this country, and of course we need to build social cohesion and of course we need to look at the cultural perspective and also the educational perspective. And secondly, in terms of Emmanuel, I agree with him that uh, we need to train South African uh, teachers and in this cultural, in the bilateral agreement, we do have a trust that says for the next five years, every year a hundred South African teachers will be going to China and of course in South Africa too will be training South Africans who will be teaching Mandarin. And in terms of Kalani, we are saying that uh, 
Mandarin will be taught outside the school teaching hours, outside the 7.5 hours. It will be taught outside, so from grade 4 to 9. So we're not impinging on the conditions of service of teachers. And as I'm saying, schools or school governing bodies will decide whether they want to introduce Mandarin as an optional subject after hours. Like all that, you know, even this year we've got schools that are already offering Mandarin outside school hours. I mean, an example is that of Pretoria Girls, where they've got Mandarin, they're also offering German, they're also offering French, you know. So people are taking advantage of the fact that uh, these are opportunities for our young children to compete globally and, of course, to be global citizens to know foreign languages. Dr. Kim? I think South Africa is a young democracy. We are so diverse as South Africans. We have to look to our African languages first. We have to look to building social cohesion with our own languages first. Having said that, trade is very important. The country needs to have links with foreign, langu- with foreign countries. And it really does make sense to, to do business in, in the foreign language. If you're the one making the, the, the concession, you're generally going to get the business. So if it's possible to first look and say, right, let's, let's look after our own first. And then after hours, if we introduce French or Portuguese or Mandarin, well, fine. But how are we going to do that? So the power dynamic already clearly at play Very there. clear. I mean, language is identity. Language is power. And I think your listeners have really recognized that, where they are absolutely skeptical of any kind of political interference. Well, I want to go back to the lines, uh, 891 Please, let's keep it short, sharp, so we can run through as many of them as we can. Eddie in Edenvale, thanks for holding, Eddie. Uh, thanks very much. You know, I think it's a no-brainer. It's typical South African negativity, and I congratulate the, the department for this initiative. I mean, it's not costing the country anything. The Chinese are paying for it. You're at a, t- a terrible disadvantage uh, in, 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 in economic terms, if you can't speak the language of the major world uh, uh, economic power, uh, it, 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 it's a no-brainer. The more languages you can speak, the better. That's Eddie in Edenville, Mzwandile in PE. Good morning. Uh, uh, good morning. Listen, I actually second the, the caller that just went off, off air now. You know, there was so much negative publicity around this that it began to cloud our judgment. Up until today, I myself was negative until I understood what uh, is actually the essence and how this thing will be introduced. I just have two pointers, uh, Sakina. Uh, I think if this thing is going to come down to two things. One is who actually pays for the logistics and the introduction thereof. And, and secondly, look, if, if they're saying that uh, there are other privileges or, or languages that have already been introduced, those being your Germans and whatever, then it also uh, tells us that uh, it's only likely to be the privileged that will actually take mm. advantage of this. Because mm. I'm in the Eastern Cape, and, and I've never come across a black school that are introducing these uh, non-official languages. Thank you so much, Mzwandile in PE. Tlolani in Clarkstorp, good morning. Morning, Fagina. Are we really becoming a lost nation? You know, when we are already having a problem to perfect English, now this, you know, last year I remember they were saying our kids, why they are failing to pass it as a child subject? It is because they are taught in English. They don't know, they are not taught in their mother language. We want to see if it's a 
somebody being taught the biology, and they say, from sub A and children are 10, so that they can pass it and, money and, and perfect it. Once you perfect it, you're able to say now, other countries want to do things, uh, they must come and learn our languages. My problem is that once you start you know, to learn these other people's language and want to perfect it, we are going to start to act, sleep, and think like that. Let me give you an example. Now, a dog, we know it has a best friend, as a, as a man's best friend. Once you know this Mahindra, we'll start calling it a Hungya, and it must, you must eat it, and it's not going to be right. You know, my problem is that apartheid leaders, why they force us to understand Africans? Because once on Deng so Hele, Oscar Nipa is telling Hele. That's not, you know, for me, it's a, it's a big no. You must start to know our own language. The other language that you are having here in South Africa, we must start to perfect it. And those who want to make a business, they must know our language. In 20 years' time, South Africa will be called a capital city of China. So, so, so it seems as though, you know, people are, you know, concerned about um, the, the reciprocity of, of this whole process. But let's hear from Lebuhang Peko in Johannesburg. Good morning. Hi, Sakina, and the list and the guests. I think, you know, there are a couple of things. I mean, much has been said about the use of language as identity and for it to frame our collective imagination. But I think that the other thing that's, that we need to bear in mind is that we run the danger of becoming consumers of other peoples, of China's international strategy. They are entitled to have their international strategy, and they have been extremely forceful and aggressive over the last 15 or 10 or 15 years in, in fomenting and, and formulating it. We don't necessarily have to consume it unconditionally. And my concern is that we seem unable to, be, to, to determine and define for ourselves what kind of strategy we want for ourselves. And South Africa has potentials of being a hegemon. And we are failing quite, quite, quite significantly in this regard if we are unable to, yes, preserve our own languages, but also to understand why it is we would want a key strategic group of people to learn Mandarin. The second thing is that we need to be very careful to, and, and be very mindful of the fact that, as been said, a very tiny percentage of people being, you know, we, we call ourselves an, inter, an international country. You know, we, we have pretensions of having and being international and verbal citizen. That is fine. But as one of, as one of your, your panelists has put it, international does not exclude Africa. It does not in, exclude the Yoruba language. It does not exclude Swahili. It does mm. not exclude Lingala. It does not exclude um, Shangani spoken in Mozambique. And we, we, we struggle to, to communicate with our own neighbors at times and resort to English. Now, this... And I, and I think that it's not so much, I mean, I appreciate the, 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 the doctor from the Department of Education and her very clear and lucid explanation, but I think it comes against the backdrop of a feeling by many people that there's already a, an overwhelming imbalance in the influence of mm. China in this country, Oriental City, Asia City, China City, etc. They teach Mandarin at my own children's school. The uptake is not extremely high. It is an, a quote-unquote privileged school, but I, I, and I think that the impetus is that it happens to be in an area where there is a large critical mass for that kind of thing. But fortunately, it is not an imposition. I do, however, have a state, you know, want to repeat the same concerns that language frames imagination, but also that we have an international relations policy that doesn't seem to be able to protect South Africa's interests. And as members of BRICS, why is it then that we are not able to say that every BRICS nation should learn the languages of all the, you know, let's all, let, let, let Chinese also learn mm. Portuguese and learn Hindi and, and, and learn Sisutu and Isizulu and let the Indians also learn Sisutu and Isizulu and let the, let, 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 let the, etc. There's a lack of reciprocity, which is a point that has been well made. Thank you so much, Sakina. Thank you so much, uh, Lebuhang Peko. Let's go to Johannes in Clarkstone. Good morning. 
Uh, good morning, Sakina. Uh, you know, uh, some of your panelists there, a lady who was last talking, she had already taken a lot of my, what I was uh, wanted to say, but uh, I'm also one of the uh, uh, majority who do not agree with men that, uh, uh, that language uh, of Chinese here in South Africa. And uh, as I already said, I don't want uh, to, to be long, but what I'm saying, what I see is uh, colonialism, you know, we are going back to the, now we are going to be the colony of uh, of China. And uh, hence, uh, uh, the Chinese, when they arrive here, we've got a, a business language in South Africa, which is English. And uh, I think Chinese, the people who uh, will come here and do business here, uh, they, will, they must feel comfortable to can learn English and then we will sort everything out. I don't want to be long. Uh, because, uh, like now, most of the language which is been talking uh, in the political, they are talking about East China, East China, and Britain is uh, standing and waiting to say, if you want your child not to put your, his finger to the fire and he's putting his finger to the fire, uh, Britain is going, after eight years, Britain is going to come back here to come and assist when the hell broke loose. Uh, Shakina, I say, I'm one of the people who do not agree to teach Mendrick at our school. Thank you, Shakina. Thank you so much, uh, Johannes and Clarkstop. Well, let's get the panel to respond to some of this. Let me start with you, uh, Mr. Fakude. Yeah, thank you, Shakina. Look, I, 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 I want to fully agree with the, with the great majority of, um, of your callers. The fact of the matter is that is that uh, and, and just like Lebohang um, Peku who called uh, just recently said it it must be a two way street if we're going to go into some kind of an agreement uh, that includes a cultural uh, knowledge exchange it must be a two way street it cannot be a case of uh, us learning uh, what uh, about the Chinese culture and not it being the other way around that just becomes a a, 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 a a bit distasteful to say the least. But now, one other thing that I want to highlight in this conversation is that there is there is a clear class issue to this as well, which means that in essence you would be, um, or rather, as an unintended consequences, perpetuating the imbalances that are already existing in our education system. Mm. Because it is clear that it is only those schools that are affluent and those that can. Um, afford to, that will be able to even offer uh, this Mandarin. So therefore, what are you saying in essence uh, to the country? Are you therefore saying that uh, uh, the children in, uh, in uh, the rural areas of Lusikisiki uh, must not have the same um, uh, exposure to this Mandarin as compared to those that are in Sentin, for instance? So there is a clear class issue to this that we must also be, 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 be very, very careful of. Another issue, again is that Language does not come with just teaching the language raw. You teach a language and you also teach the, 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 the culture uh, that goes behind it. You also teach the history of thought, the social mentality, etc. And now when you want to expose learners who are still at a cognitive stage of development of their lives to a particular culture, whether you call it optional or not, what are you saying about, about, about themselves, about, about their identity, about their own culture? So we, we, we still firmly say that it, it has to be a two-way street. It cannot just be a one-way traffic as it is right now. Well, um, uh, Dr. Nduna Watson, what are you saying? Thank you very much again, uh, again I want to really uh, uh, thank Eddie for seeing you know, the, the, the bright side of why we need to introduce more languages or our letters to be exposed to foreign languages. And as I say, it's a choice. You know, I think people you know, 
tend to emphasize the fact as if it's compulsory and it's not. And we're trying to say it's a choice subject, where if parents want to. And if I come to Mzwandile, who actually was asking who pays for the logistics, mm. the Chinese are going to pay for the logistics in terms of bringing their volunteers here. And as I've said, we will be training 100 teachers in the next five years. Every five years, we'll make sure that uh, teachers are trained. Suddenly, we're going to twin those schools that want to offer the, the language with Chinese schools so that there's twinning that is taking place. And, of course, twinning them also with uh, Confucius classrooms that are there already in South Africa. And in terms of... Uh, the strategy that we're going to use, why not offer other African, language, African languages that are in the continent? As I've said, embassies will have to come to the department to say, we want our languages to be taught in South Africa, and we are going to pay for those languages for us. As a department, but is South Africa our, sorry, doing the same? As I've said, we have opened this to all embassies to say, in South Africa, we are taking our 11 languages as a core. That's why they are taught within the contact time. Whereas the non-official languages, the 16 foreign languages, are taught after school. And the, of the, course, the question there, Dr. Nduna Watson, is whether South Africa is insisting on the same. Remember, so so, so if, if, if the Chinese say, we want um, you know, uh, Mandarin to be taught in South African schools, did South Africa respond by saying, we would also like to have Isizulu as the most widely spoken language in uh, indigenous language in South Africa taught in uh, some Chinese schools? You know, as I say, if Chinese schools want to teach Isizulu, it will be an official language for those schools. It, it, it goes both ways. But we are saying... Let's but did you on- make the request? We have not, see, Sakina, we have not even made the request to the German schools. Why is that? We are so, we are, we are so obsessed with Mandarin and we are not looking at the whole picture to say we have got 15 other foreign languages that are being offered as uh, 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 optional languages in South Africa. For, for some reason, we are not looking at the other uh, languages that are being offered in South Africa, you know, which are foreign. You know, we are only concentrating on Mandarin. But I'm saying, let's look at Mandarin and the other 15 other languages that are being taught, you know, that are mm. taught after school. And, of course, as I've said, uh, in terms of making sure that, uh, you know, we incrementally introduce the language, uh, we'll be piloting in those schools in, in housing that are willing to be part of this pilot because we don't want to, you know, uh, spread the, the introduction of Mandarin in all the schools that want, but then if other provinces in other provinces there are schools that want to pilot, we, you know, we, you know, we are sending that message to say, but we want to pilot in Houghton because we've got more schools that are willing to offer Mandarin as an optional subject in Houghton. So first, we want to pilot to make sure that uh, if it has to, you know, spread to other uh, provinces, it can be well. It, can, it should be well. Uh, but that goes to the nub of um, Mr. Fakute's last point about um, the class issue that is inherent in this language policy. So, so, so if it is only going to be offered in affluent schools, aren't you then perpetuating the status quo by only ensuring that once again only children of people who can, who can afford that level of education are exposed to what is said to become you know, a very important trade language? No, no, Sakina, it's not true. For example, let me give an example of German. There's a school in Bluefontein, I think in one of the townships, 
that has been offering German. I'm talking about a, 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 a former DT school that is offering German. It is not you up with class, but it's for schools to see opportunities or for parents to see opportunities for their young learners or their children. But in future, there will be opportunities globally, you know, for, for their children to have, you know, opportunities globally. So we shouldn't be narrow in our thinking to say it's going to be only be offered in, in, in uh, affluent schools. That's why professional departments will be involved in making sure that, you know, those schools in the townships, in uh, 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 informal settlement that want to offer Mandarin will be assisted, will be supported. So it's not true that it's only, it will be only be offered in affluent schools. So I want to dispel that myth that it will be offered in affluent schools only. Uh, Dr. Kim, uh, you know, uh, Shwe Shwe was saying um, off air that, you know, uh, this is exactly how uh, colonialism actually, you know, started, how it is done, where people are sent uh, to go and teach, go and teach people English, and then the rest will happen from there. Mm, Absolutely. And I think one of your other callers talked about, you know, language and identity and being passive consumers of other people's strategies. I think China has a very strong external policy. And yes, we could benefit from it, but we need to think about it. We don't need to be these passive, passive acceptors of whatever, you know, is, is dished out to us. We need to think about it and we need to think about what works and what we're going to be giving up. Well, I have to read some of the messages. There are tons of them. We might not have an opportunity to respond, but um, let's at least just uh, read uh, some of the messages that have come through. Uh, this one from Kosipete um, Mtimde in uh, Mount Frey says, if it is not compulsory, I don't see any problem with it. Uh, Paul uh, in Pulukwane says, my question is, is English not a form of uh, colonialization? Um, you are all speaking it with pride. China is currently South Africa's biggest trading partner. So from an economic point of view, it makes perfect sense and it makes a lot of sense. And for that matter, it will be optional. Mike says, the ANC is sucking it up for, uh, to China. Refusal uh, of visa for the Dalai Lama, dumping clothes and steel in South Africa by the Chinese, and now it's Mandarin in our schools. Please. Uh, Linda Lani in Pretoria says, our government is confused. Tomorrow, Ramaphosa will propose that we now introduce Japanese. The Chinese are bullying the ANC. Lee says, we need to be careful. The introduction of Mandarin is but one dimension of an agenda to push brand China and communism. The proposal, the uh, desire of a single man, the president. There's a lot of sugar coating with uh, optionalism, free price outsourcing. But ultimately, it is infiltration by a people to push their culture and their dominance. The Chinese could care less about Africans. Let's focus on maths and science, which is what we desperately need to do. Well, some of the messages. Tell you what, we're going to put the rest up, and there are many of them. We're going to put them up on our website. Uh, if you go onto our website regularly, you will see that we do Storyfy. We take them from all the various platforms, and we post them um, under the topic for today. So you can actually go and have a look at that, and of course get the podcast for, for this show, and of course all the other interviews that were done. With that said, 
Thank you so much to our guest this morning, um, uh, Dr. Kim Walmach from the Wits Language School, also Dr. Nduna Watson uh, from the Department of Basic Education, and Kolani Fakute uh, for, from uh, Satu. And thanks to our production team, our producers, Isanda Jonas, Nswaki Shweshwe Tu, uh, Mariam Mwate, and Misho Shandlale, uh, forum producers, Ronald Piri and Jake Mukoma, senior producers, Slengiwe Mabaso and Lungile Mabaso, technical producer, Kanya Balani, and our executive producers Aubrey Sachie and Krivani Pele. Back with you tomorrow between 6 and 9.